0: Welcome to Interrevolutionary Radio with your host, Beth Green. This is James Maynard, your co-host. This week's topic, are we sick of our dysfunctional health care system? What's the prescription? Let's ask Dr. Adam Gaffney of Physicians for National Health Insurance. Why do so many think national health insurance is a crazy, radical idea? Today, over 2,500 physicians are calling for single-payer health care reform. They say, despite the Affordable Care Act, there are still 30 million Americans with no health insurance and 39 million more whose insurance is not affordable. Every other developed nation has some form of national health insurance. Yet U.S. health spending is far higher than theirs. Single-payer national health reform would save nearly $500 billion annually on paperwork and administration.
1: Uh, we wouldn't to, want um, to do that. We would want to see I mean, yeah. really? Wow. Really? Nah. Yeah. Go Not ahead,
0: Jeff. cover all of the uninsured and eliminate deductibles, co-insurance, and copays for everyone. Plus, what does the lack of guaranteed health care cost us as individuals and as a society? Host Beth Green challenges us to rethink health care and interviews Dr. Adam Gaffney, a physician for a national health program, who is advocating single-payer health care. If he can stand up to the insurance companies and establishment thinking, why can't we? So now, here's Beth.
1: Yeah, why can't we? I can't wait to interview this man. We're really looking forward to it. Uh, obviously, there's a wild, wild-eyed, pinko-radical doctor. Right, along with the other 2499 <laughs> You know, uh, who have been close to the healthcare system, who are part of the healthcare system, who says, you know, maybe there's a better way. But, you know, this is just part of our uh, thinking that we don't think, we don't question, we come into this world just... You know, you see, when, if you're born and you see men in pants and women in skirts, you just assume that men are supposed to wear pants and women are supposed to wear skirts, and that's the way so much of our thinking is. So I'm really looking forward to interviewing Dr. Uh, Adam Gaffney and also to find out so much more about what is going on in the healthcare system and, and why they think that this would be better. So I'm very excited to see a physician standing up and a bunch of a collective physicians standing up and questioning. The way we do business, and uh, healthcare should be more than just business, shouldn't it? But in the meantime, most of you who have listened to our show many times, you are sitting there expecting to hear the news of the inner revolution, right? The inner revolution is about a shift in consciousness to oneness, accountability, and mutual support. Well, today we're doing something different. I I'm going to give you the rationalization for it, uh, but the the reason is that James and I have been traveling. We had a workshop, and then we had to travel out of town to complete it, and we came home last night, and I, we our eyes were crossing. So we really didn't have a lot of time to get this together. So that's the reason. But the rationalization, which I think is much more interesting, is I'm just so ready to make some commentary (laughs) about what's happening in the news lately. So this is giving me an excuse to take up your time. And as soon as I'm done editorializing, we'll have Dr. Gaffney with us. Don't worry, you're not going to have to only listen to me today. But, you know, I'm I'm sure that all of you are aware of the latest uh, massacre in Orlando. 49 people are already dead. And we can't seem to get gun control legislation. Now, you know, I don't want to be one-sided about things. I understand that people feel that they, you know, there's a Second Amendment and, you know, they're hunters and all of that stuff. I still don't understand why we need automatic weapons for hunting. I, you know what I mean? That would really be an unfair hunt to go out after the deer with automatic weapons. Weapons, so that can't be it, can it? And the fact that we can't even get somebody that the FBI considers a terrorist, we can't stop them from buying a gun, is beyond my comprehension. It's like common sense is not allowed. We get so attached, and see, and this is really connecting to the show as about healthcare, we get attached to thinking a certain way, and we just lose our common sense. Now, I challenge you guys out there to think about all the different things that we do that make no sense whatsoever, but we do it anyway, just because. And so, because it's been done this way, or this is what my father did, or whatever. And this business about gun control, that we can't even sit down and look at what do we need as a society, what would make sense. You know, there are so many people out there who are disturbed, deeply, deeply disturbed. I mean, you can say that this guy was a jihadist, but the fact is that he was a very disturbed person and he had that rationalization. I mean, it's no different when some person who says they're a Christian goes out and kills somebody at an abortion clinic. You know, they're using whatever rationalization to channel their violence And their anger at society and to have an opportunity to kill somebody. So, but we can't defend against that because the Second Amendment tells us that we have a right to bear arms so that if the government comes down and tries to oppress us, we can fight back so that uh, we can have a militia. I think the original idea was, in fact, that we were supposed to have a, a militia so that we could defend ourselves if the British came back. I mean, I don't think that's really what's necessary today. And We live in an area where there are a lot of guns. Um, it's a very rural area. People do hunt. Uh, people do, we don't have a lot of uh, public safety. Uh, people keep guns in their homes. I'm not happy about that, but I can understand the reasoning behind it. You know, there is some reasoning if and we can sift out that which is not reasonable if we actually want to look at these problems and solve them. But when we get stuck in a groove of thinking, we will not think beyond that. And I'm challenging all of us to, whether it's about gun control or anything else, to really Think outside the box, to stop being so darn conformist in our thinking. We're in a social group that thinks a certain way. We had parents who think a certain way. Uh, we live in a society that thinks a certain way, and that's the way it has to be done. That's kind of crazy and sad. Um, so that really leads us into the question of healthcare, because we grew up in a society. Where health care is paid for by insurance, or you go to an emergency room and they hope they never find you, and uh, after you have a bill that's not paid, that was how I got health care when I was a young woman. <laughs> to be very honest with you. You know, I was extremely poor, I was extremely sick, and I had I didn't have health insurance, I didn't have anything. And when things get, really got bad, I went to an emergency room, they were compelled to take care of me. And then, you know, they, they could never get me to pay that bill. I didn't have any money. What kind of a cockamamie system is that? I felt guilty. The hospitals, they, they, they were terrible. I mean, they were not high quality. You know, you just got what you could. And um, I went to a doctor once who said to me, he should give me some blood tests to see what was wrong. He thought that I might have something, but he wasn't sure of it. He said, since he knew I had no money, he said, since I, you can't afford uh, you know, a, a test, a blood test, I'll give you these pills. Take these pills anyway. I mean, is that health care? I moved from California to Oregon, got or, insurance in Oregon. Now this is back in 2001. Came back to California, the same company, Blue Cross. They said because it was Blue Cross of California instead of Blue Cross of Oregon, my health insurance premium was going up from 300 some odd dollars a month to 1,354 dollars a month. That was in 2001, and I, nobody would take me because I had skin cancer. I and I know that Obamacare is trying to take care of some of this insanity, but it's still not rational we grow up in a system where healthcare looks a certain way when I grew up it was there was the doctor and the nurse receptionist and the the nurse never did anything except say yes doctor you know in the doctor's office and everything got you, you know you went to your insurance company and you hoped for the best does it have to be that way you know, a lot of things have changed. Uh, women used to wear bustles. For those of you who don't even know what that is, that, that thing that they stuck on their butts, and they, I don't know how you ever sat down. Or women had to ride a, a horse, side saddle. That is no more sensible than what we're doing around healthcare. that we cannot even ask the question about is there a better system. And here we have a doctor who not only has asked the question that has lots of research and has a lot to share with us because healthcare is not only a right and it is also a necessity for a society to function. How would you like to go into a restaurant and the guy who's serving you your food has tuberculosis? Think about it! It's the most self-centered thing in the world is to want everybody to have decent healthcare. So, On that note, (laughs) I would like to introduce you to Dr. Adam Gaffney. He is going to tell you all about his background, and he's going to tell you about the state of healthcare and why he and so many other physicians are saying, why don't we think about single payer? So welcome to our show, Dr. Gaffney.
2: It's a real pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me.
1: Thank you. I hope you really mean it, that it's a pleasure to be here, because it's a pleasure for us. (laughs) So tell us. First of all, may I call you Adam? Absolutely. Yes. There was a time when doctors were gods. I mean, you could not call them by their first name because, you know, doctor was appended to them, obviously. Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? So, it's thank God we've gotten over some of that. So, Adam, first of all, why did you become a doctor? What what was your motivation?
2: Well, I... Certainly, have always loved science. I've loved the idea of helping people. I've loved the idea of doing something with my hands and with my mind um, uh, to 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 heal. Um, and I, I should say, I've always also been interested in some of the policy issues you're talking about. So um, it, make, it made sense for me to sort of follow this path and, and try to pursue both. Um, and that's, that's what I'm trying to do now, uh, I to continue clinical work, um, which, which I do and will be doing, and um, seeing patients. Um, but also I have no intention of stopping um, um, activism and advocacy around policy reform issues, and that's something that I'll continue to do as well. So I'm fortunate that I'm able to do both.
1: Yes, I'd, I'd love to hear, hear a little bit more about that because you're not this unidimensional man. You know, I'm. I do intuitive counseling and I run workshops and stuff like that. And we are spiritual activists. It's like we all have to be activists, don't we? Because our whole world needs help.
2: Mm-hmm. No, I <laughs> we, mean, yeah. I, I agree with you. I think that um, whatever field we're in, there's, there's change that needs to be done. Um, and I think it's important for professionals or, or for workers or for really whatever it is that you do to to in addition to the work that you do to the extent that you can and not everybody has the the luxury of time or or resources to be able to do this but if you can to you know take a stand um to look into the sort of big picture questions that are coloring and shaping the work that you do on a on a day-to-day level a day-to-day basis so so yeah I, i would agree with that
1: you know i really love that because you know you're making me think about uh If you're a doctor and you see uh, people coming in and they have all these diseases that could be prevented like uh, sugar-related diseases or alcohol-related diseases or tobacco-related diseases or overwork-related diseases or overstress-related diseases. You know, h- how frustrating it must be to try to patch people together and send them away, w- knowing that they'll be back or some cl- clone of some, some relative of theirs on some you know, social level is going to be coming in with the same thing all in all. Doesn't that make you want to just leap in and say, people need enough money to lead healthy lives, to not have to work three jobs, uh, to get enough sleep, to get decent nutrition. Don't you think actually that being in your position where you're seeing so much of the damage of the way we live, that that would really impel you forward to wanting to make social change that would help people have a, a higher quality of life?
2: Yes, I mean I think what you're you're pointing to is something that, pe- that 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 has been noted for some time, which is that health is not just a reflection of uh, your access to health care, but to a whole host of of factors, um, environmental factors and social oh, yeah. factors, economic factors, as you say, job related factors, stress related factors, all of these things, you know, compound um Uh, and all these things shape our health and that's Mm -hmm. not certainly an an original idea for that that i'm saying it's something that people have been noting for in different ways for you know since at least the 19th century if not earlier so absolutely i mean my um um, to be quite honest, my my belief in uh, single-payer health care reform predated my clinical experiences uh, and, and something that I believed in prior prior to seeing patients. Um, mm-hmm. But certainly I've had experiences and seen things that have reinforced it unquestionably. Uh, on a number of levels,
1: yeah. Interesting. And um, before we get into the single payer itself, and what's yes. what you think is wrong with the uh, healthcare system as we have it, why you think it should be tinkered with or overthrown, uh, is what do you what what kind of other areas has this led you to, uh, other than advocating for single payer? Is there other act- kinds of activism that you feel uh, that you have felt inspired to pursue?
2: Um, You know, I've always, I've been politically active on and off to some extent uh, for for, for a while. Uh, Yes, I I guess I'm trying to think back now. So um, I was active to some extent uh, in my own way uh, in the Occupy Wall Street uh, movement uh, in Mm -hmm. New York when I used to live in New York, um, Mm -hmm. because I felt that the... um, you know, uh, growing inequality, economic inequality was a pernicious and and really detrimental force in our society. and, And certainly that it had health ramifications as well. So actually, during those times, uh, me actually myself and some people from my organization and other healthcare workers actually went down to the you know Wall Street and, and, and did some rallies and in our white coats and, and, and spoke ah. to some of the injustices of the healthcare system at that time. So that I guess that would be an example of something that wasn't um, the center point of that of that protest movement wasn't healthcare, but you know we we sort of saw a role for it um, um, there. So so certainly that that would be one example.
1: I love that. <laughs> that's a really great I think that's really great some of us that get awfully single focused like there is one thing that's going to solve problems you know we're I'm, an, I'm a counselor okay an intuitive counselor I deal with the mo- mental emotional but I see people walking in and they are so impacted by what they've eaten That you can't even begin to deal with the emotional (laughs) until they stop drinking, uh, you know, whatever caffeine, sugar drinks. They they don't even know who they are. So I mean, it's like everything really impacts everything, which is sort of scary because you say, oh my God, what has to change? It seems like everything does. But getting back to just health care, what is it? What what? Why isn't Obamacare enough?
2: That is a very good question. Why isn't Obamacare enough? And Because many people think it is, and many mm-hmm. people think that we can maybe tweak it a little bit and it yes. will be enough. And I think there's two ways to look at the answer to that question. The first is to emphasize the fact that this, the main structure of the healthcare system didn't change under Obamacare. But But the other way to answer it is to look at the outcomes, to look at where we stand today, yeah. now that the Affordable Care Act, or Obamacare, as it's often known, uh, now that it's basically fully implemented, um, where do we stand today? So we can, yeah. uh, let, let, let's start with that that second part, that second approach. Um, well, you know, despite the fact that the law is fully implemented, what what, what have been the results? Where do we stand? We have, In 2015, according to the National Health Interview Survey, about 29 million people in the country still who remain without un, without insurance or uninsured. That's 29 million uninsured. And we're not expecting that number to decrease substantially going ahead, according to estimates. So
1: that's 20 we my, can we can we just stop for a second? Yes. I want everyone to think about what 29 million people looks like. You know, we hear these numbers. I hear, ah, OK, that's 29 million people. And then I have to stop and I think, how many people would that be? Try to put 200 people in a room and multiply that by how many, by how many, by how many to really see and that, like, put faces on them. Oh, those are old people. Those are young people. I mean, we have Medicare. Sometimes you can't even afford you know, the cost of Medicare, right? Uh, and you just see the faces, the genders, the situations, and just kind of get a map. I can't even conceive of what 29 million people is.
0: By the way, that's almost the entire population of California.
1: Ooh. 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 And oh, my God. Yeah. That is fabulous, James. Thank you. That's so, yeah. That is so great. So think about that. The state, almost the state of California is uninsured.
2: And that is a sobering fact. And It, it is. Um, the reality is, as I mentioned, is that actually the Congressional Budget Office does not foresee that number going down in a major way, maybe by one or two million, but not not by a major way, you know, over the next ten years. This is what this is where we are. So we do not have universal health care in yeah. the United States.
1: Yes. And you were going to talk about other kinds of outcomes. Yes.
2: So other issues. So the second issue, putting putting aside on insurance, I think is the underinsurance issue. Um, you know, we have. And even for those of us who have insurance, Mm -hmm. it's not always or may not even usually be adequate or complete or comprehensive.
1: Or affordable.
2: Or affordable. And that's a growing problem. So people are having higher deductibles. They're paying a lot in co-payments, something Mm -hmm. called co-insurance. You spend a percentage of the price of the drug or the hospitalization. And those costs Arising, and so there's a n- phenomenon that researchers call underinsurance, which means having insurance but not having really um, enough insurance given your economic means, given your income, given your resources. Um, and so that, and that's a, ri- a rising problem. By one estimate of the Commonwealth uh, Fund, um, uh, about 31 million um, people. In addition, to, this is not the uninsured. 31 million additional people. Um, and, and, and this only is the non-elderly adults that, 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 that they accounted for. Um, they accounted for $31 million underinsured in 2014. So that's the second problem, is that not only do we have uninsurance, we have growing underinsurance. And that that's
1: two Californias now.
2: <laughs> now up to two Californias. <laughs> yeah, one uninsured and one underinsured.
1: <laughs> and, you know, that's no joke. Uh, James and I, you know, we both have Medicare. Mm-hmm. Um we took very early retirement. We're both really in our 30s, but we're pretending to be in our 70s. But anyway, uh, we, we have Medicare and we have supplemental, and, I, and yet we ha- also have to buy supplements because yeah. the drug companies won't cover. We have, you know, the insurance from the Medicare and, it, and then the deductibles there. And we are spending about $1,500 a month on our health care with Medicare.
2: Which is completely unnecessary, and that's why even though we sometimes use the phrase Medicare for all as a slogan in my organization, we always follow that up with, you know, (laughs) improved and expanded Medicare, because Medicare as it currently stands has many good things to be said about it, but it has um, some notable weaknesses, particularly what you're talking about, which is that people basically need to get supplemental plans in many cases to cover the gaps, to cover the holes, to cover the deductibles, and that's not necessary, Uh, you know, we um, other countries don't have that. You know, um, you don't need to have copayments when you see a physician. You don't need to have deductibles when you go to the hospital, and you don't need to have big out-of-pocket payments when you get drugs. Um, and we know that you don't because we know other countries don't have those things yeah. or don't have some of those things, and they do perfectly well. Um, and the reality is you're spending the money anyway. You know, you're spending it through all these supplemental plans and everything else. So wouldn't it be better if it just – everything was included by one by one comprehensive plan and you didn't have to actually think of any of that or deal with any of that?
1: Oh, and you wouldn't have you to mean. make choices about your health care. Like, we, we have faced that ourselves. I'm talking about myself, but believe me, I know that we're just like the tip of the iceberg. It's not that, oh, poor us. But, I mean, you know, $1,500 a month is like almost a salary, right? That's the, the more than our mortgage. Uh, and, and, it, and, it, and it's ridiculous. So you look at it and say, well, should I get that medication or shouldn't I? Should I use something that the insurance company will cover or should I get the thing that the insurance company will not cover? Should I go to a naturopathic doctor who is not covered at all because I don't really feel that this other, the other system is going to work with me with my health? And so your whole life is so much is wrapped up around making choices not based on what you need but what you can afford.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, and that's, that's in a way that's the point. Right, so the point of having all these out-of-pocket payments is to, is to cause people uh, to 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 see the doctor less, you know, or to fill prescriptions yeah. less. I mean, that's the only way they save money. Otherwise, it's just you're just shifting costs around. Um, so I agree, and and I and um, and I think that's a, that's the real problem with 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 the state of things now is that people are doing, as you say, are having to make sacrifices do I fulfill this this prescription or, you know, do I, uh, you know, pay my rent, right? I mean, maybe you can't do both. Maybe you have to pay rent. So the reality is, is that, as you said, it's, uh, that's not, you know, it's not just an anecdote. It's, it's something that's playing out all over the country. Um, Many people are having to make hard choices between, between different uh, necessities in life. And, and that is not how it should be. You should, you know, The the decision to to pursue a medical treatment or not pursue it should be based on the the merits of that particular intervention, um, the the evidence. It should not be based on whether the person can afford it. That's just that's just not right Um, because that's essentially a commodity model of healthcare, and that's not what we believe in.
1: Absolutely, and then you have. In my mind, because, you know, James said, oh, well, he read something that if we went to single payer, that it would triple the national debt in three years or something, and or whatever it was. I don't remember. I'm not blaming you, James. You just happened to be quoting that. And I just said, oh, yeah, but were they considering this and were they considering that? Were they considering how many days are people out sick and lose productivity at work because they're sick and they can't get health care? Is that factored in? Is it, is it factored in oh, how... How much many children are not getting uh, the proper medical support so that they can meet their, uh, their potential, that they can live in their potential because they're, they're well, uh, versus that they're not getting their, their needs met for medical. And you know, what does that cost us? What does it cost us to have people in emergency rooms like I did when I was poor? You know, I felt guilty, but there was nothing I could do about it. You know, what? and what good does it do us if undocumented immigrants don't get health care and they're taking care of our children, our homes, uh, they're flipping our burgers, and they're sick? I mean, what are we thinking? There's no common sense to this as
2: no, I, I agree with you. I, I, I'd i say a couple of things in response to that. I mean, yeah. first off, I agree with you regarding undocumented immigrants. I think, first of all... Um, as a group, they actually use relatively little health care because of their younger age. Um, and they you know, pay actually – as things stand now, they already pay a lot into Medicare, and they actually don't take out as much as they put in uh, mm-hmm. because they use less health care. And I think that we can certainly cover them and provide them with health care uh, without breaking the bank. And I think that it's the right thing to do regardless, but I think it actually is economically yeah. reasonable. Um now in terms of the overall costs I mean we can you know get into this however much you want the there's been a sort of back and forth debate over the last few months about the some estimates um, uh, for single payer that centered around the proposal of Bernie Sanders in particular but that could sort of be extrapolated to you know basically single payer as a concept and even without getting into some of the issues you brought up like people missing school or that sort of thing there's good evidence that a single payer healthcare system would be affordable, um, and I, we probably can't rehash all of the specifics. Long story short, if you were to insure everybody in the country um, and provide comprehensive insurance, would there be some increased healthcare use that will cost a little more? That will cost some more money. Yes, but those increased costs will be at least offset, if not more than offset, by all the savings. And mm-hmm. the savings are administrative; they're greater efficiency; they're lower drug prices. So. Um, you know the analysis. So the way I think we should look at this is: yes, it's going It's not totally free to give everybody in the the country. Yeah. You know, complete But there are big savings there, and the savings will, will. at least you know, will at least balance, if not outweigh, the costs.
1: Right, as though that was the only issue, and I, I know that you know that you don't think that, but I think it's also important because people are going out there and they're going to say to somebody, "Well, I heard this guy talking about single pay. Oh, yeah, but you can't do that; it's too expensive." So we have to get real about this and say, "Yeah, but are we thinking about the costs, the aggravation, the stress, the upset, the the, the sick day?" The, the fact that people who don't get medical care when they need it can get worse and then it becomes a bigger drain on our society financially and then you have disabled people. <laughs> you know. Now they're, they're more disabled than they would have been before. Uh, there, there, is a, it's, there seems to be something in our thinking that's just amiss, that we don't think about ourselves as a whole, our whole lives, our society. We don't realize that we together are really co-creating the economy of our world and that we have to have healthy people working we have to have healthy people consuming <laughs> we have to have healthy people becoming doctors we have to have healthy people becoming the scientists of the future you know it's like we just we just think in these narrow ways and it's and, and we're so brainwashed by the Insurance companies that 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 act like insurance, the way we have it is the only way that you can do things. And people are afraid to say anything else because they might be called socialists. This is socialized medicine. Like you know, if you socialize at the golf club, that's okay, but you socialize around medicine, and that's terrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're a re- pinko red and you should be shot at dawn. So <laughs> what what are you proposing? so okay. So now you've kind of given, given people some grist for the mill here to be thinking about maybe we should be thinking about this differently and that Obamacare hasn't answered. What do you propose?
2: What we propose is a more fundamental reform that would basically create a new public health insurance system. Uh, you can call it Medicare for All if you want. You can call it something else. Um, it covers everybody, both children to adults, to older adults, everybody would be in. Um, and similar to Medicare, it would cover the spectrum of, of, of uh, you know, services, uh, medical services. It would also cover some things that are currently uncovered. Uh, it would cover long-term care, for instance, um, uh, which is something that's, that's largely uncovered right now. You mean like um,
1: I'm, I'm old and I end up in a nursing home and I don't have a, any money? To pay like for that,
2: it. or you need, you know, or at home, you know, like I yeah, think
1: somebody I to come and help me at home so I don't have to sit in a nursing home
2: exactly i mean i think okay. most people if they had the choice would prefer to to you know I mean stay in their home and so so we yeah. we, we would support that and and, and 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 want to to encourage that so and our proposal has some specifics about that but yes so we're talking about long term care physician care pharmaceuticals supplies hospitalization the full spectrum of care um, and um, that would basically um, be available to everybody, and we would get rid of co-payments and deductibles. That's what—that's basically what what we're talking about. Um, and so that's in part based on some things that are done in other, in other countries. Um, some parts of it are unique, but that's the—that's the sort of um, you know fifty thousand foot overview. <laughs>
1: okay. Part of that fifty thousand foot overview, this includes drugs and that kind of thing. Do would you would you also include uh, natural healing, alternative medicine, is that in your mind or is that not part of your thinking?
2: So we don't um, specifically in the proposal, in our proposal, go through um, line by line what would not be covered and what would be covered. I think that the general thought, you know, you would obviously need to make decisions as to what's covered and what's not covered. I, I think that, you know, the idea would be that medically unnecessary or or medically proven therapies um, would be covered, you know, so I think yeah. that, uh, again, we don't have a, a specific, we, don't, we haven't like come up with a list of, uh, yeah. that wouldn't be us doing it anyway, that would be, um, you know, some combination of experts and community members and so forth, um, but um, yeah, so we're thinking medically, you know, efficacious therapies would be covered.
1: Now, uh, the payments, payments would be based on what? On your income, or, every, or how would you do this?
2: Right. So there's a couple of different ways to fund a program like this. Um, I think that probably one way would be simply to have it completely funded out of general taxation, mm-hmm. get rid of premiums and all that. Uh, that is, has the benefit of being simple and of being proportional and of being um, progressive. That's sort of a big step in a new direction. So it might make sense for at least some period of time. To have a transitional phase in which uh, there's a payroll tax that sort of replaces what people are currently paying on their premiums, mm-hmm. and then have all the existing other forms of monies that are going to Medicare, Medicaid, all flowing into a, in, in, into the single payer system. So, what to, basically to make that a little clearer and a little more succinct, some combination of a payroll tax and a, and a, and, a, and progressive you know income taxes. Uh, or other progressive taxes so it's probably what we'd be talking about, at least for a transitional period.
1: Okay. Well, I like that idea. And so now here, I'm going to throw out some things that I know people worry about. Okay. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I can't get in to see the doctor anymore because the doctor now has a waiting list from here to next year because everybody's going to the doctor.
2: Right. So very fair, very fair question. Um, Again, we are only talking about, we are going to be covering more people. The uninsured will now be insured. And yes, some of them will go to the doctor, um, you know, who had previously been avoiding it. right Right. now the reality is is the only alternative to that is to leave those people out right Right. so clearly clearly we have to address this problem uh unless you want to say that forever and all eternity we're never going to cover these people these 27 you know 29 million people then then that would be the only you know way around this problem now in reality i don't think that there's going to be a problem with waiting less and waiting times uh as things stand now um you know uh, physicians have some amount of flexibility. If they have some more new patients, then they'll, you know, make choices. Maybe you know, see the patients who are a little sicker, a little more complicated, a little more often, and the ones who are more well and who are not, um, uh, who are not so sick, maybe a little less frequently. They have flexibility to, to do that without straining the system, without creating long waiting lists. So you know, if you look at the implementation of Medicare, for instance, we didn't, you know, Medicare is a huge increase in insurance expansion and waiting times didn't suddenly triple. If you look at something like even the Affordable Care Act, that decreased the number of uninsured, waiting times didn't suddenly triple. So we've we've expanded insurance in the past without it there being some sort of, you know, apocalypse where no one can get and <laughs> see the doctor. Uh, I, I expect that this, which would be Another increase in uh, coverage would be similar. Yes, you'd have more people covered. No, it wouldn't be a radically different situation in terms of access. Uh, And if we think we need more primary care doctors, if we think we need more general doctors, then we can work on training more of those if that's what it seems like we need.
1: You know, that's a very important point. First, I want to say something, and then I'm going to get to that point, which is, okay, so here's another fear. My Aunt Goldie, she's bored, and there's nothing she likes better than to go to the doctor and fetch about her knees or whatever, and it's just a waste of time. Uh, enter uh, your single-payer system. Can you weed out the Aunt Goldies?
2: <laughs> so I think that there are Aunt Goldies out there. Um, and maybe sometimes all of us have a little bit of an Aunt Goldie in ourselves. I
1: love that, the Aunt uh, Goldie within, yes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> in, with respect to certain things that get us worried or certain things that right. you know, are bothering us. So, yes, but that is a is, first of all, a minority of all people. <laughs> uh, and second of all, that's something that having a good relationship with a, with a, a doctor, a longstanding doctor, um, is the best way to deal with that. Right? Uh, right, it's not to make it so that people can't afford to see the doctor, or not give people insurance, or charge them a hundred dollars. It's having good, long-standing therapeutic relationships with a familiar face who can sort of be aware of the problem. You know, space out, uh, space out um, you know, the appointments at a reasonable level and so forth. So, yes, that's always going to be an issue. Uh, it, it's an issue now. We all have things that we're sort of worried about or that that, 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 that are, you know, whether it's a painful knee or intermittent headaches or whatever. And uh, and the best solution to that is just having good, solid therapeutic relationships, not trying to keep people out by charging them, uh, you know, an <laughs> arm and a <laughs> leg to see the doctor.
1: Right. Only rich people can be hypochondriacs. Exactly, that
2: would be the result, right?
1: <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, I actually there's a another version of that, which is there's a one million dollar surgery that is available if you're a millionaire, but nobody else can afford it. You know, if I have the million dollars, shouldn't I be able to get that? <laughs> uh,
2: so I, I would say that's that. That is first of all in the um, realm of the theoretical, right now for the most part. Uh, I would say that, look, people with the National Health Program, there's still going to be, you know, people can still see a concierge type doctor if they really want to. So, you know, if a physician chooses to stay out of the system entirely and just see rich people, they can do that. Uh, No one's going to, you know, stop them from doing that. Uh, We hope that that most people, most doctors wouldn't do that. And I expect very, very, very few would, but, um, but obviously there's going to be some people who just, you know, see rich people on the side outside the national health program. Uh, but the reality is that's not really a, a serious issue now, you know, anything, any real life-saving medical therapy, any real life-saving medicine, we can make affordable if we want to. There's nothing stopping us. There's no, you know, magic substance from outer space that we need to ration out, you know, and that we can never get more of we can make the drugs if we need to we can figure out cheaper ways to make them there's no surgery that's so you know that, that needs to be performed you know uh by somebody with you know um you know again in outer space it's uh all of this is doable um and uh so i think it's mostly a th- theoretical concern
1: well i love i love hearing that because you know in our world in the, our society everything is is a di- a distributed uh, according to how much money you have Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the, the person who gets the Mercedes is the one who has the big bucks, and the one who's uh, driving the jalopy is the poor person. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the way healthcare is distributed, too, in some ways. You know, so who's going to be breathing the fumes of the jalopy is the poor people who then have to go to the doctor that they can't afford to go to. Uh, anyway, uh, moving right along to some of the other concerns mm-hmm. that, uh, that people might have. Let me see. I had one more. Oh, yes. I was thinking about the poor doctor's. You know, you go to a doctor and they have, you know, they're, they're looking at the clock. Uh, they have to run. They have only so much time to see you. Uh, the insurance company or Medicare tells them how much time they, they have. We had a doctor for James who was, we said, call this doctor. He's an expert in this field. And he's got this new protocol that's really helping people. And the doctor said, I don't have time. You call him. So we're going to call him, right? I mean, it's like you see these doctors. There was a time when there was this idea that being a doctor was like the, the ultimate. Maybe that's because I came from a Jewish family, right? It's like being a doctor was the most important thing, right? And, uh, but actually, I see the doctors are going through the meat grinders, uh, and they're overwhelmed with paperwork. And, uh, you know, they want out. We, have, uh, we had a doctor who came on and he, had a, he was part of a direct pay uh, system, which is also another alternative that some people are trying, which is you pay the, them X number of dollars a month and you can go to the doctor as much as you want. Unfortunately, it only covers that primary care physician. If you need to get any kind of specialized care or go to the dermatologist to have surgery, you have nothing. So you still need insurance on top of that, but I could see that you know people, some people in the medical profession, they're looking for ways to humanize medicine, so that they're spending less time worrying about paperwork, and uh, trying to meet these uh, requirements, these external requirements that you only have 12.2 m- minutes with this patient, and uh, go back to doctoring.
2: Yes. I think you nailed it with with one comment in particular, which is the paperwork aspect. Um, Yeah. Doctors have always been busy. They've always had to see a lot of patients and so forth. So, what's really changing? I think one of the things that's that's really changed is the administrative burden and the paperwork burden on doctors, um, and that's actually been worsened by the electronic medical record. It seems, which was really? supposed to make things easier. Yes, and obviously we need to have an electronic system. That's inevitable. We're never gonna, we're not going to go back to pencil and paper. But <laughs> uh, the way that these systems are designed is that they're designed um to accommodate our fragmented healthcare system rather than being really designed for patient care. So what's happened is is that the the um procedure for billing is enormously complicated. Mm-hmm. The um the doctors offices have to contend with different insurers that have different requirements that have different mm-hmm. rules, that have different things that are covered. They mm-hmm. have to go back and forth when things don't get um reimbursed and there is a whole very complicated system of uh, billing depending upon all these different attributes of the visit that make make a doctor's uh, life uh, too dominated by paperwork and too dominated by documentation rather than patient care. Um, In hospitals, there's a similar phenomenon playing out. Um, It may not be the doctors doing it, but they have to have armies of billers who have to go through and add up little item, every little medicine, every little tab of Tylenol and cope with these itemized bills. And what's that about? I mean, that's a complete waste of money. Uh, what we could do instead is put give a whole global sum budget to the whole hospital uh, to care for all the patients over the course of the year. And then they don't need to have this army of billers adding up each little item. Um, and that could save billions of dollars. So the reality is, is, yes, I think doctors have been busy they've always been busy they will be, always be busy but i think that too much of their time nowadays is spent on bureaucracy and these paperwork requirements and i think that in part is the result of problems in the healthcare system that we can fix
1: yeah and don't you think that more people would become doctors and general practitioners if they could doctor um
2: I think that there's a lot of things that determines the number of do well maybe so I think there's a lot of things that determine the number of doctors, one of which is just the number of medical schools obviously mm-hmm. um, and 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 you know the optimum number of doctors in society is a is a sort of it's a complicated question that I'm not an expert in uh, I, I do think that um, some of these things we're talking about might be a disincentive for going into primary care in particular mm-hmm. I think that, mm-hmm. that, 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 that seems very reasonable. Yeah. I don't have necessarily data to prove that offhand, but I, I suspect that that could be the case.
1: Well, I have anecdotal evidence mm-hmm. just because I've been a, you know, a counselor for so long. I talk to yeah. so many people. You know that, That's kind of the what, what I get the feeling is that so, so many doctors are not happy. Mm -hmm. They're not happy with the way they have to practice medicine. They're not happy to worry about how much they're charging or whether this person can afford it or how complicated the billing is or, oh, they checked the wrong box or whatever it is. It's like, you know, people should be doing what they're good at. Yes. (laughs) And it's, you know, you may – there are different – qualities that are needed for different kinds of things that we do in the world. And when we're all forced to be businessmen or billers, then we are not necessarily utilizing our gifts appropriately. And have you gone ever gone into a doctor's office when there's like one doctor and there's 10 people sitting behind desks and you're wondering what they're all doing? You know, <laughs> yep. you know it's, it's kind of nuts. Um, so... Uh, one more thing about outcomes are we the healthiest people in the world we spend the most money according to you guys we even the government spends the most money of any other of these nations the government itself is spending more money and what are our health outcomes did i read that right
2: so yes if you look at just what the the so if you look at our total health care expenditures is much higher than than other countries of the world but uh, you know, A lot of that is actually already public money. If you add up the tax-favored um, status of private insurance, you add up Medicare, Medicaid, and all the taxes that go into uh, all of these things, we already, I forget the exact percentage, but it's a majority of our health care costs are already public and already come from the government. And those um, actually, as you say, exceed the, health, the total health care costs, public and private, of many other countries. Um, so that is a phenomenon that is worthy of <laughs> making some note of. Uh, and outcomes wise, no, we're not the most healthy country. And uh, a lot of different levels. If you look, it's just looking at something like life expectancy, um, but studies have shown that we're uh, less healthy than many of our uh, than, than most of the high income countries on a number of levels. Um, now, is some of that that's th- due to res- the result of a variety of factors? But certainly, um, healthcare maybe I, I think, is one of them. Um, there's a study that looked at what they call amenable mortality, meaning sort of deaths that are potentially avoidable through healthcare. and we did worse on that than the other high-income countries. So, um, so no, we're not getting a good deal for the money we're spending a lot. We're not getting a good deal from it. Um, we're not living as long as we could be. These things have many causes, but healthcare is one of them, and we could do a lot better job um, by following um, a more fundamental reform.
1: Yeah, well care. (laughs) You know, about what about keeping people well mentally? And that's the other thing. If you don't have mental health insurance, so many people can't afford to get counseling. And that impacts your health.
2: It does. Yeah, no, and actually I have an article today. uh, It's not exactly about that. It's a book review, but it's in the New Republic about – uh, it deals with sort of antidepressants. But anyway, I I make the point near the end that we need to be doing more, not less regarding mental health care. And, um, and so certainly, um, you know, even if your insurance covers mental, um, health services, getting an actual provider can be very different, difficult for people, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, uh, it doesn't actually mean having access. So, um, under our, single payer plan, certainly mental health would be an important part of what will be covered, including both therapy and you know, and, and, and the whole nine yards.
1: Right. And addiction recovery. I mean we were just I don't know, I started out at today's show ranting and raving about gun control. And you know, can't we just like start getting trying to think about this in a common sense way? But um, it's you know, you think about how many people have untreated mental health issues, that isn't their personal problem. That's everybody's problem. The person who is mentally unbalanced and who molests your child, you know, the person who is unbalanced and then shoots the gun, you know, this happens all the time. And uh, so that what what I'm asking us to do is, because Adam has given us this incredible information, I think, uh, to sort of shake up our thinking and wake us up and say, you know, where is this this bugaboo coming from? All these other nations have national health. Why can't we? But then you also think about, on the greater scale, the social price that we are paying for inadequate health care. And I, I, don't, I, I have a feeling that if we were doing what you're suggesting, that there would be a chance that maybe outcomes would change as people would stop thinking of the dollar bills as the hospitals are thinking less about the dollar bills and are thinking more about healthcare care and all the deaths that are caused by medical error that I am sure is all intertwined in the fact that the these systems are they run as businesses and you have so much time and it 's got to be this way and that we're not thinking about How should we provide health care for our population? What does this mean? You know what I'm saying, Adam?
2: I think you're taking, yes, a a sort of holistic kind of viewpoint, um, which I think is important and which I agree with. Um, There's many downstream consequences for the kind uh, uh, of, of, of bad health. Um, and that can be physical, that can be mental, um, and I agree with you. I mean, I think a lot of these problems obviously are not going to be solved just through universal health care, single payer. No. That's, that's one important component of a, of a more just society, in my, in my opinion. It's a critical component. It's, an, it, it's, um, it's a necessary component of a, of a egalitarian society uh, in which everybody's cared for regardless of means, regardless of ability to pay. It's obviously not the only thing. You know, um, and uh, we need clearly. You know, uh, uh, economic inequalities and racial inequalities and, um, you know, environmental um, issues and Absolutely. the whole, you know, but Yeah, but I agree with you. I think the point you're making, which I agree with, is that, you know, these things do not exist in silos, and you think mm-hmm. you might be saving money, or you think you might that something can be cut out, or some program can be ended, or some benefit excluded. But what are the really the long term downs? You know, what are the the long term downstream consequences of that? What kinds of harm is being done to people? What kind of suffering is resulting? Um, that's right, and I, and I think that's very on point.
1: That's right. Not only to the patient, but to the others. whole society, exactly. you know, the others. And I'm, more, I'm just trying to smash through people's ego centered view of the world. It's like when that when the drug treatment program is cut out, or there's a waiting list, and you can't get into it. And mm-hmm. you're driving the car next to me, you could kill me, because yeah. there is no drug treatment. So we it's I, I so I completely agree with you, Adam, it is it's every, that's why I say everything has to change. You know, we need, we need an inner revolution where we start looking at the world from the perspective of oneness, accountability and mutual support, that that's the only way that it's really going to work. So on that topic, I'm going to ask James to tell us about what we're doing next week and then we'll come back and we will have our final hugs. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good to me. Okay, James.
0: Okay, next week. If we meet the Buddha along the road, let's ask for help. Transcending our egos and revolutionizing ourselves. In a world where it is so important to be number one, to win, to get ahead, it's hard for us to relax into the idea that someone else has more talent, wisdom, or anything else we think important. We're embarrassed when we strike out because the pitcher is more skilled, or lose the scholarship to the younger person who's smarter. In the same way, we feel humiliated in the face of people with greater awareness or integrity. In theory, we could think, wow, that person could help me. But unconsciously, we feel exposed, inadequate, and downright jealous. Are we talking about me? (laughs) Uh, Sometimes we even pretend that they're wrong. Because we can't stand how we feel about ourselves in the face of those who are wiser. We tend to emotionally kill off our greatest people. So who's left to help? Let's stop this pattern. The egoic need to look good is blocking us from accepting help. But we can change that. If we meet the Buddha, let's ask for help, but how do we overcome our competitiveness? Tune in for a great discussion, and now for a final word from Beth and our guest.
1: Well, I'd like to just follow up a little bit about, I'm really excited to talk about this next week, and uh, I'm going to be the guest, uh, Helen Hillocks, uh, who's a wonderful therapist, and she's been on our show before us. The guest is going to be... Taking her maiden voyage in interviewing me on this topic, <laughs> which I'm pretty familiar with, actually, and uh, it's it's kind of sad that we we so many of us don't ask for help because we feel embarrassed that we look inadequate and that we actually resent and we've we've killed you know Jesus is the example you know for we adore him and then we kill him, and um, we we need to get over this. We need to look to one another for help we don't have to have everything wrapped up in our own brains uh it would make a it would be a very very weak and poor and impoverished world if it all depended on me so adam tell us how physicians or others can support your cause our cause
2: absolutely so um as you mentioned, um, I'm part of the group Physicians for National Health program, um, although we have members who are both physicians and other healthcare workers and people who are just, you know, believe in the cause. So check out our website, uh, PNHP.org, um, and you'll find a wealth of information about single payer, about um, uh, the data, about the evidence, and ways that you can get involved. Uh, certainly, um, I think we all have a role to play in this. Debate and in this fight in the coming days, months, and years, whoever gets elected in November, this is not going away. The problems are still going to be with us. So, supporting political movements that 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 are working towards single payer, um, supporting organizations that are working towards it, speaking up. Talking to your physician, talking to your patients if you're a physician, talking to your colleagues, whatever you do. Um, I think there's many levels that we can all get involved. But a good starting point is our website. You'll find a lot. You can learn a lot. Um, And... um, um, you know, I'm certainly happy uh, to be contacted if anybody has any questions or i can I can um you know share any links or any ideas so um um you know, feel free to find me on twitter at um, at a w gaffney and uh, and get in touch if you have any questions.
1: You have been a great guest. you have so much information and we're you're very inspiring, and I hope everybody had a lot of their uh, questions answered and bless you um, we will hopefully see a lot more of you in the future having an impact on our nation and if there's anything that Revolutionary radio can do to help the cause please just let us know thanks again
2: thank you so much for having me take care
0: Thank you for joining us for this edition of Inner Revolutionary Radio with Beth Green and James Maynard. The next episode will broadcast live next Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And don't forget Inner Revolutionary TV on VoiceAmerica.tv. Think outside the box and join us.